This strategic interview with Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg and Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella about partnering in the metaverse was published on Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. Good morning. This interview was conducted yesterday morning as Meta was broadcasting its pre-recorded Connect keynote. One of the biggest announcements in that keynote was that Meta was partnering with Microsoft and Accenture to bring the metaverse to the enterprise. To that end, I had the chance to speak with Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella and Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg about their partnership. This is the first part of the interview. Nadella had to leave after 20 minutes, and the rest of the interview was with Zuckerberg about not just the Microsoft partnership, but the company's metaverse efforts generally, plus some additional questions about AI and competing with TikTok. For subscribers, this is the weekly Shatekari interview, just on a Wednesday, instead of the usual Thursday. There will not be an additional post tomorrow. On to the interview. Sachin Nadella, it's good to see you. I do have to say, uh, one of my favorite things about the shift to the sort of Microsoft 365 strategy and Teams and the cloud is I can now talk to a Microsoft executive and not feel guilty that I'm sitting here with an Apple laptop because it all sort of aligns with your strategy. It was a nice, nice shift from like a decade ago. Yeah, you're using Teams, and I'm thrilled about that. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Mark will be joining us in a little bit, but I feel very... Uh, nervous about this announcement of your and Meta's sort of partnership because it seems to involve a very high risk of confirmation bias on my part, given that my sort of concluding thought about the Metaverse when it was a big topic last year is that it seems enterprise is sort of the obvious place for it to start. And I sort of tipped Microsoft as being the favorite in the space. And it didn't occur to me that, well, if you would just work together with Oculus or with Facebook, I should say, or Meta, I'm going to get it right. Uh, you would get sort of all the pieces together. I'm curious, like, how has your view of this evolved over time? Was this something that you had your eye on for a while, or is it just sort of a happy coincidence that you sort of came together? Uh, like, walk me through how your thoughts have shifted, particularly given the context of having whole lens and things along those lines, where this partnership makes sense for you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a lot of what we're doing uh, in mixed reality has been informed with what we have done in HoloLens and what we are seeing in terms of especially, we focused it uh, very quickly after its initial launch on the enterprise and the business use cases, um, and we've learned a lot. But the way I come at it, Ben, always is um, I like to separate out what is the system, what is the apps. Um, of course, we want to bring the two things together where we can create magic, but at the same time, I also want uh, our application experiences in particular to be available on all platforms. That's sort of very central to how our strategy is. And so, for example, when I think about the metaverse, the first thing I think about is it's not going to be born in isolation from everything else that's in our lives, right? Which is, what is it? Like you're going to have a Mac or a Windows PC. You're going to have uh, an iOS or an Android phone. Uh, and maybe you'll have a, a, you know, some, a headset. So if that is your life, how do we bring, especially Microsoft 365, all of the relationships I've set up, the work artifacts I've set up, all to life in that ecosystem of devices? So that's at least how I come. And that's where when Mark you know, started talking to us about his next generation uh, stuff around Quest was pretty exciting. So it made a lot of sense for us to bring... Uh, whether it's Teams uh, with its immersive, you know, meetings experience uh, to Quest or whether it's even Windows 365 streaming. And then, of course, all our management and security and even Xbox. So that's sort of what is the motivation behind it. 
How about you, Mark? Like, how how did this evolve where this partnership sort of made sense? I mean, it's kind of interesting because you wouldn't think, I mean, Facebook is, or Meta has had their, you know, workplaces or work, uh, you have too many work names and horizon names. They're all inter- interjecting. But where the reason I've been optimistic about enterprise in this space is just made sense from a go-to-market perspective where it's hard to grok the value of this VR stuff until you try it. And a good way to try it is your employee gives you a headset and then you have no choice Then you might want to use it at home, which kind of mirrors the PC adoption sort of cycle. I mean, is that something that's been in your head all along or is this sort of like this, this sort of came to you that, okay, what, what's the best place to go to market and get people to try this out? Well, I think work software is pretty different from social software. And then there's a range within work, right? An enterprise is almost its whole own beast. Right. And, and Microsoft, I think, is really the leader and the best of this and has been for quite some time. So, you know, when I was thinking about how this platform is going to develop overall, taking a step back, um, I think that there are going to be two major price points, if you will, for devices and, and kind of bundles of technology. I think there's going to be a consumer device like Quest 2 and Quest 3, the next generation that we're working on. We're not oh, releasing right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't think that that's a surprise to anyone, but I mean, it's not this year, but but there will be a Quest 3. You know, and, and that's sort of in the price range of, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars that that kind of zone. And then you you kind of have this pro work line where I think, you know, high-end professionals are, are you know, knowledge workers are, are, you know, willing to pay $1,500 for a laptop, $2,000 for a laptop for your workstation, and that basically gives us the ability to build in a lot of technology there and also improve that technology and build out the development ecosystem before we can get that down to the price point that'll fit with consumers. So I think that there are these two logical kind of zones to build out the next platform. And consumer is is obviously where, where we focus the most, but there are 200 million new PCs that are bought every year, right, primarily for doing work. So that's, a, that's, a, that's kind of a huge part of the market. And w- what we kind of realized early on was that we had a place in helping to build out that platform. The technology is eventually going to be universal across all different parts of VR and eventually AR. But we're not the leading enterprise company. Microsoft is. So I, I think that that's, this is, is I, I think, actually quite a natural partnership um, for, for the companies um, where you know, a, lot of, a lot of companies, I think, want a device like this, but loaded up with all of the Microsoft stuff that they know how to use and um, and trust and and kind of built that relationship with with Microsoft over in many cases decades. So Satya, does does my theory on VR potentially following the PC adoption curve of the eighties does that resonate with you or or am I uh, am I overreading overfitting as it were? I mean, I mean look, I think uh, you know the way even Mark described it, right? Which is if you take uh, one of the things during the pandemic, we learned a lot is what I'll say, the first line worker scenarios, right? Which is, if I look at even what happened with HoloLens is in the enterprise, a lot of the use cases around remote tr- or training uh, or remote uh, field service, all of those things became pretty mainstream use cases. So I think similarly right now, uh, the use cases around uh, knowledge work, uh, you know, I think can absolutely happen in a, the VR headset. In fact, when Mark and I first talked, he talked about, hey, look, I want my Outlook to be there in uh, Quest so that I can do both my heads up email work and be in meetings and do all the other things that he wants to do. So I do fundamentally think that for thinking of this as another form factor of personal computing, 
uh, where knowledge work happens and with mixed reality, even front, frontline work happens, right? The pass-through piece is also pretty exciting. So I think that some of these things uh, will start taking some of the apps we built for HoloLens. We want to even bring, quite frankly, to all platforms like Quest even. Is this your sort of virtuality strategy going forward? I mean, I know you, you have HoloLens, you're talking about different partnerships, but there's no one out there that's investing to the level that Facebook is. Or, uh, sorry, I keep calling you Facebook. It's terrible. This vote, especially that meta is. Is it really like this is, if we're going to hitch our wagon somewhere, our expertise is not necessarily hardware? I mean, we have built the HoloLens, but I don't think you've invested, you know, $10 million in the last year on it. Uh, is, is, is it fair to say that this is sort of the, the center of your approach and yes, you'll support other stuff, but you're going to sort of start here going forward. Yeah. I mean, always we look to who is investing and most importantly, who has the highest volume install base of any form factor. And we want to make sure our software is really first class in it. Right. Uh, so that's why, uh, the way Mark described it is, hey, he wants us to be a great ISV on his platform and we want to be a great ISV on his platform. And I think uh, I've always felt that unless and until you're doing leading edge work, right? I always been, I, and I think you, you heard me say this, I grew up in a Microsoft where Office was born on the Mac uh, before Windows even was there. So therefore, I, you know, I'm grounded in that lesson. Uh, and so it doesn't mean we won't do other things, just like how Mark and team will also have other enterprise applications and business applications on their platform. But uh, to me, you know, this is early. You know, I think Quest represents a big new innovation cycle uh, and we want to be there uh, learning, innovating and making sure our software lights up in great ways. I've never heard Satya talk so much about being an ISV, and we're just a mere app maker. I mean, I I think the first time I met him, he would describe Teams as like the operating system in the cloud. And so, Mark, when you sort of think about this partnership and a big part of this, you know, I think it's fair to say is building a, a platform that Meta sort of owns and controls. How do you see, do you see any tension between those sort of visions? Or is this sort of a natural thing where you're more on the device layer, you're focused on consumer and you're fine with Microsoft sort of, you know, orthogonally sitting on top of that with their their sort of enterprise platform. Well, overall, I, I think that this is a, a very natural partnership where I think our, our strategic interests are, are pretty aligned. And a lot of the things that we care the most about, like the consumer experiences and the, the sense of expression and, um, and the ability to maybe you know, make the make the version of yourself that you want to express the most and then be able to hang out with your friends. I mean, those are the things that we care about the most. And then um, we just really want to make sure that we have the best work tools on there. So I mean, we'll build our own stuff mm -hmm. um, just because we, we want to make sure that it exists and we want to push the platform too. But I think that that's really Microsoft's bread and butter, right, is 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 that and and making sure that that hooks up to Azure and um, and that all the enterprises can have this whole 360 suite of, of tools that Microsoft um, provides, which I really think to understand the partnership, you, you kind of have to wrap your head around that Microsoft is trying to bring all of that, that yep. full experience yep. for enterprises. Not, I, I have a question for Satya on that. So, yeah, so you, don't, you don't have to list yeah, it out. But yeah. yeah, so I mean, it's, but, but I think it's, you know, the fact that it's not just Teams, but it's Microsoft 365 and the ability to stream a Windows PC from the cloud and all the Intune mm -hmm. work and Azure Active Directory. I mean, those are, it's, it's just kind of the full set of things that Microsoft brings. But taking a step back, I think um, in addition to the strategic alignment, I also think that there's a very deep philosophical alignment on the direction that we want the next generation of computing to go. 
right? It, my my kind of brief take on the history here is that in every major computing platform, there's been an open ecosystem that's focused on partnership and a more closed and integrated ecosystem. So with with PC, you had Windows was the leading um, was the leading open ecosystem, and of course Mac was was sort of the leaded leading closed integrated one. On on phones, you know, you have um, Android is is the leading open one. Um, and, and iOS is the leading closed one. I think one of the things that's interesting in the history is that I don't think it's predetermined whether the open ecosystem or the closed one ends up being the primary ecosystem. I, I actually think like it, it, it quite well could be the case that a partnership-driven and an open ecosystem ends up being um, the primary one that the majority of people and the majority of the value is created in is the case for the next computing platform. So I think our goal and our alignment here is not just about specific use cases, but I think we share a vision of wanting to not only help build the open metaverse and the the open version of the next um, set of platforms, but also make sure that the open ecosystem wins in this next round of computing. Yeah, I mean, just one thing, Ben, I would add to... First of all, I like the way Mark frames, I think the open and integrated and both have a place. I also feel at least the lesson I've learned, sometimes the hard way perhaps, is I think we overstate all the zero-sum battles that are in our industry. I mean, everybody talks about everything just being on one of everything. The reality is there are three or four of everything. I mean, uh, and so take the database market, uh, you know. uh, So therefore... I look first is what are the t- sometimes I think companies and leaders in particular miss out big opportunities where you go in, assume everything is zero sum. Uh, and so I want to make sure, especially when something new and big is being born, uh, that you are really innovating uh, and making sure that nothing like, in, in, you know, the way I, I think about Quest is, you know, for a Microsoft customer, it'll feel like a Microsoft device. It'll be managed by Intune. You'll log in using AAD. You'll have Teams. You'll have Microsoft 365. You can even stream Windows uh, 365. So to me, that's a beautiful way. I mean, you know, and of, of course, it'll have all the other stuff that Mark and Team and other ISVs build, too. But that's a good world for that platform. Yeah, I mean that's why I was setting you up from the beginning with the Mac with with the the, the Mac reference because it does seem to align with with that sort of vision. Uh, Sachi, I know you have to go soon. I have a couple things uh, I just wanted to, to to get your point of view on. You've mentioned Teams in VR, Microsoft three sixty five, the the Intune device management, Azure Active Directory, Windows streaming. Uh, I, I know those are sort of packaged together, but and also the gaming sort of aspect. That was kind of the order they were presented in. Is that also the order that sort of appeals to you strategically, like sort of teams leading the way, but then getting the enterprise bits? And then, of course, you know, you're, you, you are making heavy investments in gaming. But it seems from my perspective, that makes sense to me. But is that sort of is that a ranking from your perspective? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, for me, I think the number one thing that experience we want to get right is teams uh, because, you know, uh, we want to make sure people can have great meetings uh, on Quest. And uh, and teams, as you know, is a scaffolding where it's just not about meetings. It's about collaboration. It's about even business process applications that terminate inside a team. So there's a lot of stuff that happens inside of teams. It's like a browser, essentially. Uh, and so we want to get that experience right. We also want to look at the avatar system that Mark and team are building. So how do we really take advantage of what's the native avatar system? It's kind of like the native UX on these platforms will be like the native avatar system. So you want to be able to, uh, as an application developer, really take advantage of that. Uh, 
Uh, and then all the applications, right? The 2D, one of the things I'm also keen to see is what's the use of 2D canvases inside a 3D world look like? I think that that's a, ton, you know, I think it's going to be important to get that right. Uh, get the, uh, the, you know, the resolution stuff right so that I can do even heads down work. Uh, so lots of stuff to look forward to, to learn and uh, really refine. Just to go back to something Mark said a moment ago, you know, if you want access to the enterprise, you sort of need to partner with Microsoft. And, you know, in this case, you have this major investment in a consumer product that the first major real huge partnership is with Microsoft. And does this feel like a validation of sort of having doubled down on being an enterprise company? I know you never actually said that per se, but looking at it from the outside, it's like, look, this is what we are. This is our bread and butter and this is almost like your way back into the consumer market in this new platform because you're perceived as a good partner. You're not necessarily a competitor for what Meta is trying to do. Then it makes sense to partner. And then suddenly you have these Microsoft products on these devices and Meta doing a whole bunch of work for you in many in many respects. Well, I mean, first of all, I think Mark said it well. When we, I think we're very, very strategically aligned. We clearly are a strong commercial and enterprise company, and we want to bring all of that value to Quest. Uh, but we also want to bring our gaming assets. So one of the things that, you know, we want to, uh, we're de- definitely all in on gaming. Uh, and we, you know, we today have Minecraft on Quest, and uh, we have Flight Sim on Quest, uh, and we'll continue to push on that. So we have picked up places where we are a consumer company and a commercial company. Our commercial strength uh, is much bigger, but that at the same time, you know, having you know a strong consumer business that probably is uh, is, is is something that I want to sort of make sure, especially in gaming, we're doing some of our best work and as these platforms emerge. Yeah, getting the whole Game Pass catalog available with an Xbox controller and just a big screen in Quest is, I think that's going to be really awesome when it's available. The first demo that, you know, when I, with the Xbox controller and on a big screen, um, it, 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 so I, in some sense, I want to really look at, you know, people are looking at, hey, what's the device that I really play a lot of cloud uh, gaming on? Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing how Quest uh, really works out for that. Well, I will save the uh, the common enemies make good friends question for Mark, since I know you have to go. But that, that's how I can tie my my Mac observation uh, in from the beginning. But th- thank you, Sacha, for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ben. See you, Mark. All right, see ya. Well, I guess that leads into the question. I mean, as you think about sort of partnering with Microsoft, does this happen without the sort of sense that like how much of it is the the motivation of avoiding the current system where basically Apple and iOS is this dominant player? They've obviously had huge impacts on your business. Do you think this partnership happens or happens as early without that? Yeah, I, the counterfactuals are always no, no. I, I, I get well, it. <laughs> well, I I do because this isn't the only partnership that we're doing. I mean, I think for you know if you think about all the different use cases that we're trying to unlock. For work, I think that this one makes particular sense. But if you think about some of the other big partnerships that we have, I don't think that they're primarily competitive-driven. I think that they're opportunity-driven. So Qualcomm is, is a big one, right? We're, we're basically designing um, and working with them um, to help you know, basically shape the, the direction of the custom silicon that's going to exist for VR and eventually, um, hopefully, augmented reality as well. And... Um, I don't think that's primarily driven by a, a competitive thing. I think that that's just it's a big market, and um, and it was you know we have some 
silicon design efforts internally, and we'll keep pushing on those. But at the end of the day, Qualcomm is um, is is really the powerhouse there, and we we figured we'd get more leverage and create more value by by working with them. And and I'm really happy and grateful for the partnership with Cristiano and the team there. If you look at what we're doing with smart glasses, Luxottica, um, Essler Luxottica is, I think, you know, clearly the the best um, glasses design and kind of optical manufacturer now with Essilor and distributor um, of glasses around the world. So that they're a great partner with that. And I don't think that that one's primarily competitively driven. So I, I think that there are plenty of other examples here that basically show that what we're really trying to do is, um, is drive innovation, push these markets forward and um, open up new use cases. If you want to create a general computing device, and you kind of go use case by use case. So with VR, we started with gaming. And then the next set of use cases that we worked on were primarily social apps. And that's still kind of in flight and underway um, and with our efforts with Horizon and all that. But already today, you know, the top I think two or three apps in the Quest store are social metaverse apps um, where people primarily are just hanging out, maybe playing casual games, um, but they're social experiences. So that, I think, is a sort of a validation of the use cases expanding and of the original strategy that kind of I expected that this was going to be primarily a social platform. Some of the fitness stuff, I think, is pretty interesting, too. But I think it's pretty clear that work is is really just a, the next big step function in usage. Yep. Um, so you know, this is just a huge opportunity. And and in some ways, you know, I think Quest Pro, it's um, it's really the V1 of this effort. And it's an effort that we're committed to and we're going to Keep pushing on. I said this to Sachi before, but I'm I'm I, I, I'm you arrived a couple minutes late, so you might have missed it. But I'm really biased here because I found the enterprise portions of the keynote sort of far more compelling than sort of the more consumer focused stuff. But again, it's kind of like I had this pre existing thesis that the enterprise kind of makes sense as the first market for VR. So you get to be the judge. Is this confirmation bias talking, or do you do you feel a similar like? the use case is just really tangible for enterprise, particularly from the meeting perspective. And there's still a little bit of figuring stuff out, like what's the killer app for a consumer? Well, I mean, I think that the keynote basically breaks down into an update on things that we've already launched, yep. new things, and then future things. So it, it, there's no doubt that the the work part of the keynote was the new use case that we were trying to talk about. So I, I think that there is an excitement there in the sense that it is the new use case. It is the kind of the the new kind of open terrain. Um, it's it's kind of the new area that we're trying to open up, and and we haven't talked about a lot of this stuff in depth before. I mean, I, I do think that the growth that we're seeing in gaming, um, the development of of kind of the social metaverse platforms, um, even a lot of the fitness stuff is is pretty compelling too. But um, but those are all things that we'd sort of introduced in the past, so we were just we were updating on. And then I think some of the future stuff is just wild. I mean the the neural interface um, EMG wristband, you know, showing an actual demo of that working, I think is is crazy, right? It's and I think that that's going to be uh, pretty amazing and a necessary component for where we eventually are going to go with AR, because um, you know you kind of have to imagine that with augmented reality, you know, one of the big questions in a general computing platform is what's the input, and with VR you, you have the controllers. Um, and you have hands, but you're probably not going to be like walking down a sidewalk, you know, right. with with augmented reality. Although it glasses. is now possible, yes, with your hands up. And then, you know, as as good as a voice assistant is, there are times where that doesn't make sense. You know, if you want to 
you know, be more discreet or private or, or um, you just don't want to annoy the people around you. So I do think like stuff like the neural interface thing, I mean, I, I think that that's, you know, some of the wildest and most exciting stuff that we're working on. But, you know, I think for, for someone like you, um, who's focused more on like what products are actually shipping, obviously that's still, that's still a few years off. Well, so I, it's, one of the things that I always thought about the difference between AR and VR is VR is this, you know, it's kind of in the name, it's like this sort of immersive experience, like you're going to another place. And I always put it in the same sort of line as like movies or video games or this idea where you're when you're doing it, your attention is sort of all there. And then AR is sort of in the line of like the phone or, or where it's something that's with you and sort of a, a accompanying you. And one of the reasons why I thought VR in the work was sort of interesting is because you go to work like that's sort of a physical thing that we do in this case you can sort of go to work by putting by putting a headset on and that's sort of like one dimension the second dimension is this sort of like single player experience versus multiplayer experience where if you're playing a game that sort of tends to be a single player experience if you want to get to the social aspects that's more of a multiplayer experience if you want to walk down the street and check your AR glasses with your Neuralink or whatever, single player experience. I'm curious how you're thinking about these dimensions because it kind of feels like you have a particular focus right now that's sort of the key to getting this off the ground. I, mean, I could imagine it being the dedicated multiplayer experience just because of technical capabilities and you want to build a social experience. But I, I'm curious how you think about those different dimensions and what's possible now, what's possible in the future and where you want to get to. Well, I think general computing platforms need to excel at both. But clearly, a lot of the time, you're just doing stuff by yourself. So, you know, the the case, whether it's, you know, you put on your Quest Pro or eventually your, your AR glasses and you just kind of snap your fingers and you have three huge monitors up in front of you, no matter where you are, right? It doesn't have to actually be your desk setup. It could be, you know, Starbucks or or you're like sitting on a bus somewhere, right? I think that that's pretty compelling, right? Just to have your your kind of perfect workstation, which by the way, will probably be a better workstation than, than most people can get physically anyway, but have it not only there, but have it anywhere you go is going to be pretty compelling. But if it were just single person productivity, that probably wouldn't be a big enough reason for meta to be in this space, right? So the, the kind of philosophical reason why we care about this is about human connection. And the fact that delivering the sense of presence with another person is sort of the ultimate expression of the type of services that we've been building for 18 years now. So that's the part that's exciting to me. I think that there's a consumer version of that and there's a work version of that. I mean, meetings also are, are human connection, but I think both of those are going to end up being important. And for what it's worth, I think both of them are going to be important in both virtual and augmented reality. Um, I mean, there's nothing that I think would stop us, you know, in, in five years from now from, you know, having this podcast and um, basically just having augmented reality glasses. And, you know, it's like if, if you're still in in Taiwan, you know, basically your hologram is here at, at Meta headquarters and and it just feels like we're there and I can kind of have a, a 3D model of a device and I can hand it to you and you can, you know, so it's not just a video call. It's like we can actually like interact with things together. That'll be compelling. Now, you can start to build those experiences with mixed reality with um, with Quest Pro, which I think is exciting. So, some of the things like what Satya was talking about, I think that there will be real interesting use cases like training or, you know, let's say you, you kind of have someone and they're repairing an expensive jet engine or, you know, like different industrial applications, like having the ability to kind of have someone 
kind of back at headquarters, see what they're seeing and be able to draw or annotate and like on the, on the world and, and kind of give them um, kind of advice on, on kind of what they're doing or help train them to do that. That's actually a very compelling mixed reality use case that I think, um, and we didn't touch on the partnership with Accenture, but, you know, we're working with them and with Microsoft to basically build a lot of the last mile software to actually build out different applications, whether it's training or specific applications like that. But the other part of, of building mixed reality with Quest Pro is that um, developers will start to be able to build the types of of um, augmented reality experiences that will exist, you know, both consumer and and business that I, th- I think will eventually be critical for for kind of full glasses when we just get there. I, I think that your bit um, about sort of multiplayer experiences and that's sort of in Meta's DNA of sort of connecting people, it, it's very compelling. But I guess the question is, why meta? Because when you're online, the network effect is very real, in part because anyone can use Facebook. It's free to use. You know, it's one of the beauty of the ad-supported model. In this case, having a, uh, a, a this sort of experience is sort of gated by acquiring a headset. Now, yes, you you had discussions in your keynote about having a better experience on your computer, on your mobile device. But do you think that sort of network effect or that that moat that you already have extends into the metaverse or do you have to sort of build it again from scratch and sort of get people on board on board sort of one by one i think it's some combination but i think our business model like you said the ad supported model was hand in hand for social networking with basically the if if you care about serving as many people as possible having a, your product be as affordable as possible is a really important point. Right. Right. So I think that that, that basic point extends to this generation of computing and, and hardware as well. Now, we're not going to be able to make the hardware devices free, but I, think I will we, say $1,500 was less than I expected. We are going to be able to have, I think the business model will be disruptive, right? In that it's um, typically people build hardware and they try to make a profit off of it. Right. If you're Apple, you build hardware and you charge as much as you can for it. And I, I do think that having someone come into the space and basically um, say, we're going to build the best hardware in the space and we're going to basically sell it at a break even point, um, you know, in some cases, maybe even slightly at a loss in order to basically help grow the ecosystem with the business model of, of, of basically having the revenue um, come through software and services that business strategy, I think, is aligned with the mission of basically connecting people and, and kind of having people there. Because if you want to build a social experience, you, you kind of you have to have the people there. Right. I, well, I, this, now that Sachi is gone, I can ask you, do you have any sort of nervousness about Microsoft has their own, like, there is a certain network effect of being on, you know, whether it be Teams or whatever it might be, that if you can go in and have this sort of full Microsoft experience that it becomes diluted somewhat and, oh, just go get, you know, an HTC headset and you get the same sort of experience. How do you think about managing that? Or, or do you feel pretty confident that you're going to be so strong in sort of the consumer spaces that it's just going to be really easy to sort of flip back and forth and it sort of won't be an issue? Yeah, I mean, I think the pros of the partnership way outweigh the risks. I mean, obviously nothing is is risk-free, but at the end of the day, we also have to do our job and deliver world-class services and and hardware. And if we don't do that, then obviously... Um, we will, we will lose. Um, so I do think though, that there are, there is this alignment that we talked about before between the things that we primarily care about, which are the aspects of the platform around expression, 
Right. So that's everything from. And I'll say I was extremely impressed by the facial tracking. Like it, 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 it was much better than I expected. Oh, I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that. And I, I also think that. And it, but it goes back to the example. It's impossible to appreciate until you actually try it, which is sort of the, the one of the challenges here. Yeah. I also think it's interesting because if you look at what even others in the space are doing, I mean, there's a cost to including those sensors, right? It, it adds some some depth to the device. Um, it adds cost. So you, the, the device is now a little more expensive. Cost battery life. Yeah, battery life, um, CPU, right? So and GPU. So it's basically like uh, processing on, on, on the device is, is limited. And now you're processing um, basically video streams. From you know, this is actually cameras. very interesting. It, it ties into the work thing. Because uh, my one disappointment is I want higher resolution. It's still, you know, it's, it's higher resolution than the Quest 2 was, but it's still not as high as I want to have like my whole computer screens up and jump in and out of meetings. So that it's interesting because that, that, that feels like a one area where you and Microsoft may would not be perfectly aligned. Like if they were going to build a headset, it's almost more single player experience and like it's going to be no, all I think, about I think, productivity. I think basically everyone else, everyone else in the space would focus more on the single player experience. Yeah, and the single player experience. So I think that our bet in this is a deep bet that the connection aspect matters more. And and this has sort of been part of the experience of running the company all along is that, you know, I, I don't know, even just growing up, like it's like we're told, like do your homework, then go play with your friends, right? And I just think at some level that's wrong, right? I think it's like the the connection between people is the point, not the thing that you do after everything else. Yeah, um, uh, and that resonates with me. So to me, the, the, the killer app for VR has been this meeting. Like I... I it's, I mean, I was talking about this on, on, you know, a podcast or whatever, like the presence thing is real, but it, it's really meaningful, but it's so hard to like convince people and explain people without sort of trying it. We'll just get there over time. And to your point about the, the network effect and community, I think part of why making the stuff available on computers and phones and why plugging into workrooms or teams or zoom, right. Which we, we also announced in, in the keynote that will support, I mean, that'll work across computers and, and VR but I think part of the bet is that more people will be in the ecosystem and people have the best experience in VR um, and AR as well eventually. And then that will eventually just people will will migrate over. But it's never going to be fully that, right? I mean, these these platforms don't tend to replace the other one completely, right? Just because we got phones, we still have computers, you know, and our watches haven't replaced our phones. So it's so I, I do think that that's um, we'll, we'll kind of be living in a world with a bunch of these things for a while. What do you see as sort of the biggest risk factors for this vision? And like, there's almost like a hierarchy, right? Like maybe like level zero is the, you know, most fundamental question of all, which is, will this even be a meaningful product category? Obviously, as you know, there's lots of skeptics about that. The second is sort of like timing. You know, is this stuff years or decades away? You said five years to have a hologram sitting across from you. That 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 that's that seems pretty ag- aggressive, but hey, that, that'd be incredible. The third is sort of the question as to whether Meta is the company to bring this vision to market, right? Like, which of these concern you the most as far as like, you know, is this going to actually work out? I mean, I think that they're all risks. I mean, I try to think about the things that we can actually control. So is this going to be a big thing? I'm highly confident it will be a big thing. Timing, I think, is harder to predict. But the thing that I feel pretty confident about is that if you look at the other big tech companies, they typically have decades of building out their own operating systems and um, this kind of computing platform infrastructure. So they just have a lot of other technology to bring to bear, which I think means that if we develop this at the same time as, you know, an Apple or or a Google um, or an Amazon, 
then there are a lot of advantages that they might have. So on timing, what that suggests to me is we need to be on the early edge of this, not the late edge or, or showing up at the same time if we want to help push this forward and really help to shape what the standards are, right? So for example, if we want um, the default to be that there are you know, face expression sensors because we care about having that you know, part of the experience, you know, I don't think it's enough for us to show up like after people have already set the standard for what this is. I, I think, you know, basically being in there now and helping to shape this is an important part of that. So that's that's kind of how I, how I think about this. Um, well, I, I'm curious on, on the my impression. And again, I was very impressed by the Quest Pro. It feels like the hardware is a fair bit ahead of the software. Is that your do you feel that way as well? Which is maybe counterintuitive to what people would expect. Um. I think in some ways you could say that. And I think part of the reason is that Quest 2 was just a bigger success than we expected. So basically, we Quest we built a bunch of versions of VR headsets sort of tethered to a PC. And then Quest 1 was really the first one that got to the form factor that we knew we needed to get to, which is, you know, what wasn't as small as we needed to get to, but it got to, you know, the, the fact that it's device. standalone. Yeah. And then we come up with Quest 2, and it sells... You know, seven times more than Quest One or something like that, right? So it's it just it was this really big step function. I think part of what happened was the software ecosystem started getting developed around Quest One. So that by the time that Quest Two came and it had a better processor, better graphics, um, you know, somewhat better form factor, it's like it just um, it, it the ecosystem was ready for it to take off. And on the back of the success of Quest Two. We've doubled down on a bunch of other investments, including around things like Horizon and the Avatar platform, because at some level, it's not worth building a whole kind of social platform on a device that there aren't a lot of them out in the world. But with Quest 2, it's like, oh, this is happening. It's like now is the time to go build this. But of course, those are investments that um, that take multiple years. So, And is that, that part of like the whole thing about, you know, which operating system are you going to use, which which chip are you going to use? Is, was that sort of decision made for you because of the Quest 2 success? I I don't know if I'd say that was made for us. Um but I I do think with Quest 2 is basically time to stop just experimenting and lock on what we thought the long-term architecture was going to be, which is why before that I think we had this mode of there were like a lot of different things going on and we we weren't kind of sure what shape would would be the one that that got to product market fit, but I think with Quest 2 I think it was pretty clear um, what the basic shape of this was going to be for at least the next five years, um, what things we needed to do. And I think that that was a, a forcing function. Well, the thing that I like about this keynote and your real focus on the partnership and we're going to be open is there does seem to be a much greater sense of alignment overall. Like we're not going to build our own chip. We're going to partner with Qualcomm. We're, we're, we're not going to say build our own operations from scratch. We're going to leverage Android. And all those come with certain sacrifices, particularly in terms of performance and how sort of cutting edge you can be if you're not having that sort of deep integration. But it's sort of like, if we're going to go ecosystem, we're going to go all out ecosystem. And I'm just sort of like, so this this Microsoft partnership feels like almost a manifestation of the quest to success and locking you into this sort of multi, like, when, when did you come to that realization? Like, it's not going to be fully integrated. We're not going to do our own pieces. And was that directly linked to, okay, we will partner with Microsoft or were those sort of just discrete events that I'm drawing connections that don't exist? Well, a lot of this is just getting the other companies excited about it, right? So before quest two, 
I, I just think the conversations were very different, right? A company like Microsoft wouldn't have wanted to put this many resources on this because there just weren't that many units. But I think that now they can see the trajectory of it and they're like, okay, so this isn't huge yet. Um, you know, there's there's millions of units. It's not billions of units, but but it's it's kind of going in a direction where this is going to be a major computing platform. I think similar with Qualcomm, similar with other folks. So the terms on which we could work with them, if at all, were not sufficient before Quest before we demonstrated the success with Quest 2, which meant that we had to go build a lot of these things ourselves. But what we've basically come to, take Qualcomm, for example, I mean, this is a partnership that I think is completely unique for Qualcomm in terms of the depth of collaboration that we're that we're doing together to make sure that we're designing really great chips. And um, I don't know if they would have been open to that before we demonstrated the success of Quest 2. So I, I do think to some degree, we always knew that we wanted the ecosystem to be open, but we also need to do that in a way that gets to the quality level that 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 we need to get to. And I, I just think it was in some ways the success of Quest 2 that allowed us to make the partnerships on terms that we're confident will actually deliver the products that we need to over time, if that makes sense. I think one of the arguments that can be made as to why Apple has not just gotten away with sort of decapping the ad market, but you know, been praised for it is is it's like a brand. Like they have decades of goodwill. They've really pushed an era around privacy that, well, you know, I, I could argue is self-serving is also appealing, particularly given the frame they put around it with their ads and things along those lines. The sort of flip side of that argument is that Meta is weaker from a brand perspective. And, you know, do you worry that will impact your potential in this space? Or is it just like if we just make a great product, it's going to be fine and and we'll actually re refashion the way people think about us? Yeah, I mean, I think it's somewhere in between the two. I, I mean, I, I do think that that having a track record of decades of building hardware and platforms um, is helpful for you just have a relationship with that company doing that thing. Yeah, and I thought your um, point, too, about having like operating system expertise like there we talked when mobile phones came out, iOS scrolled well. Uh, Microsoft phones scrolled well, and like Android was janky. It's like, well, which two have been doing win- like window managers for the last thirty years? <laughs> you kind of know how it works. Yeah, so I think that there's there's the technical version of that which I talked about before, and then there's the kind of customer relationship version and brand which you're talking about now, which I think is equally, if not more, important. But but I think that those two go together. And to me, what what this all suggests, I think it is natural that you know until a person has had you know one or two of our devices and realize that they're high quality devices that they're they're gonna be reliable and, and do everything that the person wants yeah i mean i i just think that that's something that we have to build up over time and there's no substitute for both the time but also doing high quality work for building that up so i i think the question is how do you counteract that and to me the trade-off that i think we need to make is be willing to be a little bit early on this which of course, means that the program will cost a little bit more because, you know, obviously the the timing, if you're trying to get it exactly right to when when the market is ready, you know, if, if we're spending billions of dollars a year on on this, um, you know, we're going to be spending billions of dollars more than 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 another company um, in, in order to basically be early. But I think we need to do that in order to build up the brand and credibility around around these efforts. I mean, just th- given th- the importance th- of the like space. My, my worry, though, right, because I, I sort of drew the analogy earlier this year talking about like general magic, right? The b- bunch of former Apple people, they're going to make this personal communicator device that ends up looking a lot like an iPhone, but they were in the nineties. They were a decade too early and it, it sort of didn't work out. Like, are you, how is your confidence about timing right now? Do you think like, like, do you feel 
have greater clarity even than a year ago, the last time we talked about when this stuff is actually going to be meaningful and useful? I mean, I, again, I think that the Quest 2 success is it was a good signal that this is is sort of, at least for consumers, it is in the ballpark of gaming consoles in terms of, of the, the popularity of it. So it's, it's not in the ballpark of mobile phones yet um, or, or computers, but at least in the ballpark of, of, of gaming consoles. And that's that's like a meaningful first step to to sort of break into. I think a lot of these things take a couple of generations. So Quest Pro is the V1 of the work line. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Quest Pro Two, you know, that when when we come out with that, wow, we're breaking news. I, I mean, this, this isn't this isn't breaking news, but I mean, it's it's just I mean, obviously, we're we're, we're working on the next generations of of all of these things. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if that sold significantly more, sort of like the relationship that we saw between Quest Two and and, and Quest One. But yeah, I mean, I I don't think I think that there's a difference between being you know three to five years ahead. And being ten to fifteen years ahead, right. I think ten to fifteen years ahead is is really tough. Three to five years ahead is expensive, but I think you're also developing a lead and a real technological moat. And I, I think that in, in in our case, that actually plays into an advantage here. The other way in which we're doing this is actually just by focusing on VR at all instead of just augmented reality, because I think that there's this bias that a lot of people in the industry think that augmented reality is going to be the real prize. Um, but from right, it my goes per- back to that, like the accompanying technology versus the immersive technology. Yeah, and first of all, I think VR is probably going to be bigger than people think. I, I tend to agree. I think AR will will end up being. You know, it's like you're not going to walk down the street with a VR headset on, right? Um, whereas eventually you will with with normal looking AR glasses. But yeah, I mean, the the average American I think still spends more time between their TV and computer than they do on their phone. So if you're talking about like a sort of sit down experience of computing and and looking at bigger screens. And and VR is probably the the closer analogy to that, whereas AR might be closer to a to a phone. Um, I don't know. I I think that there's a reasonable shot that that people end up you know ten years from now spending almost as much time in VR headsets as they do with with with, with augmented reality. So I think VR is a, a big deal, but I also think that VR is sort of a good way to ramp up a lot of the 3D immersive development ecosystem because a lot of the technologies are the same. Right, so the mixed reality stuff that you're going to be able to develop on Quest Pro is going to look a lot like the software that you will eventually have on augmented reality glasses. And a lot of the basic technologies around the avatar and how you show up in 3D, hand tracking, like all of these different technologies are going to be, I think, very similar. So by w- focusing on VR now, even before AR is possible, and I think it's quite likely that AR, before it's you know you get to the V2, V3 that are really the mature products, um, that could be later in the decade, but I think VR kind of gives a clear path for developing those those technologies in a way that that kind of fits the market. I have a couple of quick AI questions. I have my own theories, but I'll, but like, what, what's your view on the role of AI in the metaverse, particularly as there's these more sort of you know creative capabilities? Is that going to be an important factor, or uh, is that sort of TBD? Oh yeah, I mean a lot of the so an AI is basically touching everything at this point. Um, I, I think you're specifically talking about content generation. And I think that will be the case too. I mean, I don't know if you saw this um, this demo that we did where you, you basically can create a horizon world by talking to an assistant that's like, all right, put two palm trees here, like change the clouds, right? Actually, like I want them to be cumulonimbus clouds. It's okay, like let's start playing some music. And it just, it's kind of building the whole thing. 
And that stuff is just going to get better and better and better. So I know there's that version of that. I think for having like AI agents that you interact with, um, you know, I think eventually you'll end up having... Single player games need NPCs, so... Yeah, the NPCs will get better and better. Something that that's uh, no, that's that, terrifying, but yes. <laughs> no, I think that that's I think that that's like a real a real thing. Yep. Um, so I think world generation, content generation, customizing your space. Like, I think part of the basic economics of the whole thing is how do you make it really easy for people to create. That's right. Worlds and games. Yep. That, that, that's to me, this is the big thing because content generation is such a limiter on games today. That's why you know, you, you have this huge bifurcation between AAA games and yeah. indie games that are pixel art. Yeah. Because someone has to draw all that stuff. But yeah. if an AI can draw it for you. And this is a big part of, you know, when we think about in Horizon, okay, we, we want to make it, obviously there are going to be a set of people. There are going to be studios that have hundreds of people working on them and they want to create AAA content and they're going to sell it as their own game, right? And it's going to be its own app. And we need to kind of support the, APIs to be able to go deep to the metal of the device to be able to really tune that. But a lot of people, and I think about Horizon as more like the web of of um, the metaverse as opposed to, um, you know, the app store is more like the, the kind of standalone apps, um, native apps. And a lot of what we're trying to do is just make it as easy as possible to create worlds. So let's say you create like a simple battle royale world, right? And you know, maybe that takes someone a few weeks right now, but with better AI tools, you can maybe do that like in an afternoon. And that's really cool. Okay. Then the next question is, all right, in order to play a multiplayer game like that, you need to either get, you need to get a bunch of other people around. So if you, if you have your friends with you, that's the best case. Second best case is that there's like other people who you don't know, but you know, they, they're, they're respectful and fun and like not not jerks while you're playing and that's Definitely somewhat hard norm online so. somewhat hard to come by online <laughs> but but i mean but you can create some some environments that do that but the other thing you know like you said is is you know a lot of people just you, know, you build games with npcs but if you're like a person and you're not an engineer and you're trying to create a game or a world like you don't have a, a, the ability today to create a world that has npcs that can play some kind of game whatever kind of game you want so i think the ability to to actually make it so that a normal creator who who has a vision and an idea for what they want to do can make something that's pretty reasonable that includes some AI components. I don't know. I think that that's going to be really compelling. So looking more broadly, one of my theses have been has been that if Meta can sort of make it through its current challenges, particularly you know I think with TikTok, then it's sort of structural advantages in AI. You know, thanks to like sort of both capital and data. Would, would give it a leg up, not only in the metaverse, but also in the creation of entertainment content, like whether it be in the feeds and ad serving, you know, like as ads shift from being super deterministic to being much more probabilistic. But that thesis has kind of been shaken a bit this summer. I mean, no one's doing this that stuff yet. But I think the amount that people are doing, whether, you know, sort of the democratization of AI has been pretty stunning to me. Do you still see that sort of an original thesis that AI and your capabilities is going to be a long-term sustainable advantage? Or is it sort of something that everyone's going to have access to, not just in terms of like feed management, but also all the way down like content generation or whatever it might be? I mean, I think that there will be a mix of this stuff. I mean, I think that there's a bunch of examples where having just a lot of infrastructure and a lot of examples to train the, um, the machine learning on is a huge advantage. But I also don't think that it's like, if you're not one of the big tech companies, you won't be able to do anything interesting at all, right? It's, so I, I think that people tend to go to extremes on this stuff and that often it just finds a more reasonable balance. So, um, but 
I'm also not, it's not necessarily bad for us if the generative tools end up being more democratized, but it's like at some level, you know, I don't really care that much if you create, you know, an Instagram photo that you want to post on Instagram within the Instagram tool or in some third party app. It's like, you just want the good content For, for things like ranking ranking the feed well or recommending the best content or having the best ad system that's where we need to be better but that's where i think we do both have a track record and have the ability to invest to build technology that is probably better than our other peers in the industry which i think will give us a sustainable advantage on those things that i think are more core to what we do yeah that makes sense well this kind of leads to like my final question which is as you sit here today in 2022 what is Meta's moat just sort of generally, right? Like everyone's always talking about network effects, but then you see this sort of being devalued with the sort of TikTokization of everything. I mean, is this did this sort of tie into the Instagram sort of slowdown or, or rollback a little bit? Like it turns out that those network effects still matter and people missed it. I'm just curious, like I'm actually curious about that decision specifically, what you've been learning from Reels and all those sorts of things, and also big picture how you think about Meta and if that's sort of shifted at all over the last couple of years. Yeah. Okay. So there's a, there's a lot in there. Um, I'm not, save the best for last. Yeah. It's like let, let, let's see. So in in terms of advantages, you know, I, I think that this stuff typically gets back to like values and what the company is focused on. So one is we are deeply focused, I think, on um, you know, just the sense of of connection, and I think that that leads us to build different products than the other big tech companies that I think tend to be fo- focused more on your relationship with technology. So I think that that. That has always taken us in a somewhat different direction than Google or Apple or um, or, or any of these other companies, and I think we'll continue to to good kind job of, excluding Microsoft. Now that you're, Microsoft, that you're Microsoft too, Microsoft too. <laughs> um, I, I just think we're that that's sort of taken us in a different direction than than others. Not always good, but but um, but in but I think it makes it more interesting to have companies that focus on different things. The second thing is we are a deep technology company that just invests a ton of you know, not just capital, but like where the cultural center of gravity is in the company on building deep technology to be able to build new capabilities. So I think that that differentiates us from a lot of the other kind of smaller social companies that I think are frequently building, you know, like a feature or something like that. But it's, um, but I think the ability to make very transformative changes is somewhat more limited. But then that's sort of different from your question around reels. Because on that, I would say, I actually think TikTok is probably, you know, they've they've proven to be a very effective competitor. I think we were somewhat um, slow to this because we we um, it didn't fit my pattern of a social thing. It felt more like a shorter version of YouTube to me, and and I don't, which I think is true. Yeah, and I don't, and I don't. I mean, obviously, we have a ton of video on our service. I mean, it's like more than fifty percent of the, or I think it's at least fifty, maybe more percent of the time that people spend on the Facebook app is watching video at this point. So it's it's not like we're against it, but it's just, it's not like the thing that we wake up in the morning and are like, this is what we are uniquely here to do. If we, if we don't, you know, do video, then there are other services. If, if we don't focus on connecting people, then it's not clear that there are going to be others who are doing stuff at the scale and the quality that, that, that we are, um, even though there are plenty of other competitors out there. So uh, the thing that I think I, I sort of miss there though, is um, there's a different loop around how people interact with uh, discovered content. So if you thought, like before, the way this sort of worked is you had your list of friends that you followed and you got their content and feed and you commented in line and the interaction was there. Now, I think that that's 
there's still some of that, but I think it is by and large shifted to you use your feed to discover content, you find things that are interesting, you send them to your friends in messages, and you interact there. So in that world, it is actually somewhat less important who produced the content that you're finding. You just want the best content. Now, what is the best content is still locally relevant and personalized to you. So you're still going to want to know when people in your who are your friends who you know have updates in their life or, um, you know, depending on how much you care about the person, you're going to want either a higher resolution or lower resolution on those updates. Like I want to know when my when my cousin has a baby or something happens in their family and I want to know when my close friends, like when they, you know, what they did this afternoon. But it's, um, those social connections are always going to matter. But by and large at this point, I think just being able to produce a, a feed where over time more and more of the content is going to be recommended by AI across the whole um, corpus that that, that exists, um, that actually creates social interactions in this loop that's primarily in messaging now. So we've been very focused on that. There are a couple of big trends that are going on. One is that more and more of the time and content is shifting to video. So I'm going to share the stat around Facebook, which is, it's not a new stat, yeah. but I mean, but it's, you know, I've, I've been talking for a while about how there's been this shift to video and that continues. And, you know, we're now at the point that it's like half or more um, of, of, of the time on Facebook is that. And that's continuing. But the other trend is just that I think we've reached a point where the state of AI technology allows uh, you to effectively recommend content from kind of across the whole corpus that is of the same quality and increasingly better than some amount of the follow graph stuff that we would have shared, yep. but was shown before. And the thing for us is, I call this vision internally the, that what we need to produce is a discovery engine, right? It's not just reels because video is not the only format, right? Even as, as more becomes video, it's not like photos are going away or text is going away or news links are going away or groups are going away or like any of these things. They're going to still be there. Um, the addition of more content tends to be generally additive to the overall ecosystem. But no one is really building the AI recommendation system or the the discovery engine, as we call it, across all of these different types of things and blending them together. And I think that that's a huge area where we can create a lot of value. Because I think at the end of the day, a lot of the competition that we're going to have, whether it's with TikTok or, or others, is like you... Medium specific. Yeah, it's a, well, well, you have a few minutes and you want to discover the best content. And, you know, sometimes it's I want to watch specifically videos, but a lot of the time it's like I just want the best stuff. So I, I think having the ability to to kind of intermix video photos, text, all these different things, content from friends, content not from friends, um, is going to be a really big advantage. But again, that's more a question. It's not a technological advantage as much as it's like an advantage from the way that we look at the world and the problem that we're trying to solve. I appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on the Quest. Happy to and thank you. Quest Pro, not the Quest Pro 2. That's the secret uh, news that's coming. It's very impressive and um, look forward to seeing what comes next. Thanks. Thank you.